You're listening to podplanet.org, where the stories are between 83 to 100% true. And now, Podplanet presents The Smithsonian, with special guest star Lisa Del Bello. Let us begin. This is the launch operations manager. The launch team wishes you good luck and Godspeed. Uh, thank you very much. No, it'll be a good one. CDR, FTC, how do you read me? August 1985. When Gibson was 10, his mother and father took him to Washington, D.C. Of all the places the Capitol had to offer, the Smithsonian Institute, more specifically, the Air and Space Museum, was tops in Gibson's science fiction-obsessed mind. It was early in the afternoon. After two hours of wandering around, Gibson and family came to the Wright brothers' exhibit. While mother and father eyed the 1903 Wright Flyer, Gibson wandered off to see the Lunar Rover exhibit. It was an exact replica of the original, even down to the red Bible attached to the steering wheel. After looking at the Rover for a while, Gibson went in search of his parents, but they had vanished amidst the crowd. So Gibson took the elevator down to the Boeing Milestones of Flight Hall. But his folks were nowhere to be seen there, either. So Gibson decided to wait it out. The Milestones of Flight Hall was a well-traveled area, and his parents had to pass through it, one way or another. And so, milling around Apollo 11, he waited and waited and waited. Listening to podplanet.org. Chapter 2 Growing up in the village of Haverstraw, just north of New York City, 23-year-old Lucinda Martinez never imagined that one day she would be a security guard at the Smithsonian Institute. But here she was, coming up on the end of her first year there. Martina's mornings were spent staring at a bank of television screens. Screens that provided a view of every exhibit in the museum. There were even cameras trained on the National Mall outside the Smithsonian. Martina's afternoons were spent making the rounds of the museum on foot, offering visitors advice, history lessons, directions, and in times of trouble, help. Martinez was outgoing, bilingual, certified in midwifery, and she loved her job because, like Gibson, she too was an avid science fiction fan. Today, Martinez noticed a slight red-haired boy standing by Apollo 11. The boy was, of course, Gibson. Having plenty of experience with lost children, Martinez could tell Gibson was out of sorts and wanting. Gently resting her hand on the boy's shoulder, Officer Martinez asked, Excuse me, son. Is everything okay? I guess, ma'am, but I seem to have lost my parents, responded Gibson. Kneeling down to the boy's level, Officer Martinez said, What's your name, son? I'm Gibson. Gibson who? Just Gibson. What's your last name? I don't know. How old are you, Gibson? I don't know. We don't celebrate birthdays in my family. 
Thinking perhaps Gibson was challenged, the kindly guard escorted the boy back to her office near the Telstar 1 communications satellite. Once in the office, Martinez brought Gibson a can of apple juice. He settled into a comfy chair beneath a portrait of Richard Nixon and stared blankly out the window at the park across the street. So, Gibson, asked Officer Martinez, What are your parents' names? Gibson fidgeted and replied, Mother and father, unless I'm feeling generous, and then I call them mom and dad. Are you telling me you don't know their last names either? Nope. We don't use last names. And where do you live? I live in South Hill. And where is that? I don't know. All right. Do you know your phone number? No, replied Gibson. Personally, I never use the phone, and I wouldn't know who to call anyway. Looking out the window and whispering to herself, Martinez said, So, he doesn't know his last name, he doesn't know where he lives, and he doesn't know his phone number. To collect her thoughts, Martinez lit a cigarette. She stared silently out the window, which overlooked the vast expanse of the National Mall. Never in her experience had she met such a spaced-out kid. Just then, the speakerphone buzzed, and the receptionist said, Hello, security. There's somebody out here to see you. Martinez extinguished her cigarette, pressed a button on her desk. The door opened, and in walked Gibson's handsome, waspy parents, Elizabeth and Brendan. Oh yes, hello. We're looking for a boy around ten, with red hair, said Gibson's mother. Oh my lord, Gibson, thank goodness you're all right. Did he break something? He lost you. Don't worry, it happens all the time. I'm Elizabeth Walters, and this is my husband, Brendan Walters. And you are? I'm Officer Martinez. I'm with Protection Services here at the Smithsonian. Well, pleased to meet you, Officer Martinez. But now that we have Gibson back, I guess we should be leaving. Absolutely. May I ask you a question? Of course. Uh, in speaking to Gibson, he told me he doesn't know his last name or phone number. He doesn't even know where he lives. Scowling at Gibson, Elizabeth said, He's only ten years old. It's not my business, but a boy his age should know these things. It's a crazy world out there, Ms. Walters. You know, we've tried, officer, but this boy has cotton candy for brains. Looking sternly at Gibson, his mother said, You hear that, Gibson? You hear what Officer Martinez said? Gibson shrugged his shoulders and whispered, I'm sorry. I don't know what more I can do, mother. The adults shook hands and laughed. All in a day's work at the Smithsonian Institute. Gibson and his parents left the office, left the building, and stepped into the warm summer air outside. Walking to Jefferson Drive, Gibson's mother continued the reprimand. You know, I don't know where you get this from, Gibson. My side of the family or your father's. Either way, you're a bird brain. I don't know what will become of you. Yes, mother, said Gibson. Standing across from the National Mall, the Walters hailed a cab and returned to their hotel. Gibson sat sadly in the back seat of the speeding sedan and stared blankly out the window. Little did Gibson know it would be another 30 years before he returned to the Smithsonian. 30 years in a different century where you couldn't smoke indoors, and where you had to wear a seatbelt. What planet? If it tingles, it's working. 
Chapter 3 August 2016 Gibson was now 41 and had been living in Santa Monica for a long time. But this week, he had a series of client meetings on the East Coast. Today, he had a meeting in Washington, D.C., not far from the Smithsonian. After lunch with an important lobbyist, Gibson had the rest of the day off. Gibson walked from the restaurant to the National Mall. It was the height of the travel season, and the mall was crowded with tourists, the young and the old, but mostly the young. There were Europeans, South Americans, Asians, and even some visitors from Canada. Seeing the Smithsonian across the street, Gibson decided to go back and see what if anything had changed. Walking through the doors to the cathedral-like welcome center, Gibson was as awestruck today as he was when just a pessimistic 10-year-old boy on a family trip three decades before. Always popular with tourists, the Air and Space Museum was packed, but considering the number of people in the hall, it was strangely quiet. The Air and Space Museum can have that effect on you. The first time you enter the hall, surrounded by all that history, it can be spellbinding. It can be overwhelming. Looking up, Gibson saw the Bell X-1, the first plane to break the sound barrier. And right there, where it had been when he was a child, was the Apollo 11 command module. Hard to believe something so small had traveled so far and returned to Earth safely with its delicate human cargo alive. And then an unexpected surprise. Standing near the space capsule was a woman in her 50s. Gibson couldn't believe his eyes. But there was no mistaking her. Older, yes, but unchanged from 1986 when they had first met. Her identity was confirmed by an ID badge. It was indeed Officer Lucinda Martinez, the security guard who'd reunited Gibson with his parents all those years ago. Gibson turned and stared at her one second too long. How can I help you? Martinez said. Removing his hat, Gibson replied, I don't expect you remember me, miss, but 30 years ago, I was separated from my parents and you came to my aid and well, Gibson's words trailed off. Smiling and looking up from her smartphone, Officer Martinez said, I'm sorry, sir, but 30 years is a long time and kids get lost here every day. Then she pointed to a child standing about 20 feet away. See him? said Martinez. Gibson nodded. The child's head was bowed as though in a silent prayer. He held something in his hand. Turning to look around the great hall, Gibson saw nearly everyone in the room had their head bowed or were pointing excitedly at nothing. Some people quietly squealed with delight. Others held their fingers to their lips as though they had discovered a magnificent secret. Well, Gibson said to Martinez, I best be going then. Save for the sound of the footsteps echoing throughout the hall, the silence was eerie. Maybe some fresh air would do him good. So Gibson left the museum and walked outside. 
lingering around the staircase of the museum were hundreds of 10 to 20 year olds. Across the street, in the National Mall, were thousands more, all of whom had their heads bowed. A boy, maybe 16, scuttled past Gibson in great haste, his cell phone held close to his face, and one arm enthusiastically pointing at nothing in the distance. The boy kept repeating a word that sounded like, Squirtle! Squirtle! Bemused, Gibson hailed a cab and went back to the hotel where he was staying. The Smithsonian had become a very strange place indeed, as had America. Epilogue The Smithsonian Air and Space Museum houses the largest collection of legendary air and spacecraft in the world. It's home to the Space Shuttle Discovery, the Kitty Hawk, the Concorde, the Boeing Stratoliner, the Friendship 7, the Redstone Rocket, the Blackbird, Apollo 11, and the Enola Gay, among 60,000 other amazing artifacts from the age of flight. And now, there's a new exhibit on display, but it's invisible unless you own a smartphone. This display is about imaginary creatures with names like Pikachu, Charmander, and Squirtle. For Officer Martinez, the new display means her days are quieter. She gets fewer calls about lost children, and she can't remember the last time someone asked her about the Atlas V booster rocket, the location of the space shuttle, or even where the nearest restrooms are. Uh-uh. These days, visitors spend more time looking at their phones than anything else, and Officer Martinez has much less to do. As for Gibson, that evening, he caught a flight to Florida. Once airborne, he couldn't help but look at the stars outside. And he thought about the Smithsonian Air and Flight Museum, and all the fun and games of the 21st century. How far we've come, he thought. To the moon and back. Apollo 11 Houston, you are go at eight minutes. Roger, we got PU ship down here too. Okay, boosted flight, how are you for staging? We'll go for staging flight. Guidance, how are you? Go. Go for staging, Captain. Cut off. Roger. Staging and ignition. Ignition confirmed, thrust is go. Ignition confirmed, thrust is go, 11. You have been listening to Pod Planet where the stories are between 83 to 100% true. Pod Planet is written and produced by Peter McHugh and Clive Desmond. The Pod Planet theme was composed by Jonathan Goldsmith. Creative consultant, Monique Kelly. Digital and audio design by Oliver Wickham and Aidan Vickery. Pod Planet announcer, Jean-Francois. Additional and highly deserved credits are listed on podplanet.org. If you haven't subscribed to Pod Planet yet, subscribe now. Go to our webpage, podplanet.org, podplanet is one word, and click follow on whatever podcatcher you're using. You'll find Pod Planet on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow Pod Planet on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Links are available on our webpage. This is Pod Planet Season 2. We'll be back in two weeks with another new and startling episode. Until then, on behalf of Peter McHugh and the whole Pod Planet team, thanks for listening. I'm Clive Desmond. Pod Planet is part of the Public Radio Exchange and the Association of Independence in Radio. You have been listening to Pod Planet. A new episode drops every two weeks on Thursday.